There's that song we all know and love. Blau und weiß ein Leben lang. Hallo meine Lieben, wie geht's? Willkommen zum Das Einziger Schalke Podcast auf Englisch. That's right folks, officially the world's only English Schalke Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Carmen. Let me start off by thanking you for tuning back to our show. Schalke fans are some of the greatest fans in the world, many of whom speak English. This pod aims to bring you the latest from the Royal Blues, talk to the English-speaking fans of the club, and get their point of view across, and bring you game highlights. We'll also pick out articles on the club and talk a little bit about them. Joining me on today's episode, we have Carlo Vallardes uh, to talk some tactics. Um, today, on the, today on the podcast rundown, we're going to quickly recap the game versus Hamburg, Uh, that, and then also we're going to talk tactics on the Schalke evolution. Let's take it away. So real quickly, coming to this game, um, Schalke play Hamburg at home. Um, Schalke have been on a high as of late, and... Uh, they're playing a lowly, lowly Hamburg team who's down in the towards the bottom of the table. Um, it was curious to see coming off the international break how how the teams would be. Um, one player in particular who was having who had a good international break uh, was Weston McKinney for the Amer for the United States men's national team. Uh, he actually scored on his debut, and so many wondered if uh, his uh, his good score and form would continue. Um, before we get into the game. I'll uh, take a look at the lineups. Schalke lined up in a 3-5-2 formation. Uh, in goal, as always, Captain Ralph Fairman. Uh, in defense, you had Tilo Carrer, Naldo, and Stambouli. Yes, Benjamin Stambouli. Holding, holding down on the right side. Uh, in front of them, you had Max Meyer in his new defensive midfielder role. Uh, on the wings, you had Bastian Ochipka and Daniel Calagiri. And then in the midfield, you also had Weston McKinney and Yevon Konoplyanka. Up top, you had Franco Di Santo and Guido Bergstaller. On the other side, Hamburg, they lined up in a, in a 4-2-3-1, if you will. Um, uh, Hamburg were, were sporting a, a young, promising forward uh, in the name of Jan Fiete Arp. Um, talented, talented player, and he gave Chaka trouble all game long now going to the game um shock started you know right off the right off the bat really um in the fourth minute there was a cross into the box and there's that man weston mckinney he jumped out jumped everyone uh out jumped, he got in front of uh, franco de santo and got a header off just missing wide missing a missing a goal opportunity for uh for Schalke. um Schalke didn't stop there. They kept pressing uh, throughout the first half. They looked quite impressive. Um, and in the 16th minute, Konoplyanka, doing some individual work, uh, was taken down in the box. Um, there was no doubt about it. It was a penalty. Um, I know the Hamburg players are arguing about it, but um, it was definitely a penalty. <laughs> They they tried to say that he dove, but he didn't. Uh, it was just a foolish play by the by the Hamburg player. Uh, it was a penalty, and and up stepped. It was a uh, the guy who was going to come up and stand up was uh, De Santo, who hadn't scored since last year. hadn't Doesn't have a goal this year. Um, so what would happen when he took the penalty kick? He's had a few moments to collect his thoughts. De Santo, one nail to Schalke. 
Goal for Di Santo. First goal of the season. First goal since the end of last season. Um, a big, big relief off his chest. Um, happy to see that uh, he finally got one off. Got off the monkey off his back, and hopefully there'll be many more goals to come. Now, um, that sometimes the first one is the hardest one. Once you get that first one, uh, the goals just keep coming in from there. And it's a good time for him to get in form too with the, with the big derby coming up next week. The goal or the score would remain 1-0 at halftime. Um, coming out of the second half, Hamburg did play did play better. They had plenty of opportunities this game. Just uh, Don't let the scoreline deceive you. Hamburg were very much in this game. Uh, that man we mentioned in the beginning for Hamburg, Arp, uh, he seemed to be the catalyst for Hamburg uh, setting up plays. Um, going 1-1, has some shots of his own. He's had some beautiful plays. Um, if it wasn't for the defense, Naldo and the guys in defense, and plus Ralph Fairman, um, the scoreline could have been very much different. Luckily, we have them, and luckily the defense is very compact that uh, they were able to shut down Hamburg for a good part of the game. Uh, then in the 77th minute, um, a very, very good play happened for Schalke. Daniel Caligiri, who's been awesome this year, and if you didn't know, uh, we just retweeted something this week where Daniel Caligiri is in the top 10 in the Bundesliga as, as far as fastest players in the league. Raise your hand if you thought Daniel Caligiri was one of the fastest guys in the league. I did not. I would have thought maybe Kona Playanka or, or someone like that or Max Meyer, but definitely not Daniel Caligiri. But he has mis, uh, deceiving deceiving speed, if you will. You don't think he's fast, but he'll, he'll blow right by you. And in the 70th, 77th minute, Caligiri did that. He went on a wonderful run. Uh, going past going past Hamburg players left and right, um, finally chipping the ball past the Hamburg defense, slid it past back to Kona Plianka. Uh, Kona Plianka, without hesitation, chipped a pass across the box to a wide open Guido Bergstaller. Uh, Daniel Cadijuri, excellent run here. Cadijuri still going, pulls it back. Kona Plianka and Guido Bergstaller. Space for Schalken and the goal that might very well see them move into second place in the Bundesliga. Guido Bergstaller scores, making no doubt about it. Um, getting the goal that he was looking for in this game that would put Schalke up 2 0, and then as a result, they would see off the game with that scoreline. Um, Schalke were quite impressive in this game. I mean, like I said, Hamburg did play Schalke very well. Um, if you look at whoscored.com, they gave Naldo the man of the match performance. Um, and that's a, that's a, that's a good shout. Um, Naldo being man of the match. Um, if you look at overall in the game, Naldo had a yellow, Briel and Bolo when he came on, he came in second half and he got a yellow within 10 minutes. Max Meyer also got a yellow in the 73rd minute. Um, as far as substitutions go, Franco Di Santo went off at halftime. Briel and Bolo came on. I'm not sure if it was an injury situation there or Tedesco wanted to see some speed with Mbolo. In the 87th minute, uh, Yevon Konoplyanka came off. Alessandro Schopf came on. And then in stoppage time to to drag a little time away, uh, Max Meyer went off and Mat- uh, Matija Nastasic came on. Um, if you look at the stats for the game... Um, I mean, overall shots, 
Schalke had the advantage, twelve to seven. Four shots on target to one for uh, Hamburg. Um, possession wise, Hamburg had a slight advantage, fifty one to forty nine. You wouldn't, I mean, it was it was a fairly even match in that respect. Uh, tackles were twenty two for Hamburg, twenty for for Schalke. Nine of those, in fact, though, came from Max Meyer, uh, who's excelling in his new role. Uh, as far as the strengths of the game, Schalke were effective at creating goal-scoring opportunities uh, through individual play. They were strong at finishing, obviously, with the two goals. Um, I guess a weakness, you could say, with Schalke in the game where they were too aggressive, maybe, and they, they left themselves open at the back. Um, luckily for us, Hamburg, you know, they were poor at finishing. Uh, also, they were caught. They were too. They were also too aggressive. That you know, they were caught for two goals. There, I gave away a cheap penalty in the first half and in the second half. Um, got caught on the counterattack, and they gave away a lot of free kicks in and around the box. They weren't punished by those, but it, you know it could have been it could have been a lot worse. Um, so overall, um, good result for Schalke. You get three points. Uh, looking at the standings, um, Schalke move up into second place. That's right, I said second place. Uh, Six points behind Bayern. Bayern sitting first, 29 points. Schalke are now in second, 23 points with an advantage over Leipzig, uh, who also have 23 points on third place. Fourth place is Gladbach with 21 points. And then our bitter rivals, who we will see this week, are three points behind us at 20 points. Um, big game coming up this weekend, the River Derby. Uh, I, was, I would ask what you guys are doing, but I know you guys are going to be watching the River Derby. Um, it's a big game. I give my preview in the next segment real quick. Um, so hopefully it's a win. Um, I look forward to that. As we transition into the second uh, next segment, uh, instead of our usual transition music, we're going to play you a little clip from the Bundesliga, They a piece they did on uh, the man we're going to talk in the next segment on. Rhapsody in royal blue. The feeling's back with happy regularity for Schalke this season. This is a team enjoying their football again. A team clearly and systematically on the up. That's down in big part to him. New coach Domenico Tedesco. His analytical approach has been paying off since the opening match day against Leipzig. Defensive stability with a five-man defense. Bolstered by deep-lying midfield duo Leon Goretzka and Nabil Bentaleb. Here, the whole team have dropped back within 30 metres of the home goal. Amin Arit wins the ball, makes the space, and sends Yevhen Konopolyanka on his way. To seal a 2-0 win in clinical style. Schalke had less possession than Leipzig, but they used it to very good effect. We were looking to get out wide or behind the defence. When you score twice, you don't mind seeing a little bit less of the ball. Fast forward to match day 9 at home to Mainz. Schalke have settled into their new defensive structure, with Max Meyer also now occupying a key role. A three-man backline plus two attack-minded fullbacks out wide. In front of them, Max Meyer in the central midfield slot. One conspicuous tactic is Schalke's aggressive pressing in the middle of the park, constantly hustling Mainz out of their rhythm. Meyer, ostensibly a playmaker, has been given a new task by Tedesco. Here we see why. 
Mai's instinct is to play his way out of trouble. Tracked by five opponents, he maintains the overview and can move things in a new direction. It's a solid basis for a more productive attack, with Leon Goretzka setting the creative tone. Dynamic, always involved, and with a direct line to the opposition goal. Final execution included. He's in the more offensive midfield slot now, which suits him running in behind the forwards. What's even more important than his goals are the intensity and effectiveness of all the legwork. Goretzka is now at the heart of the Schalke attack. His vision is evident again here, against Mainz. Pulling his marker out wide, creating space for Franco De Santo to swiftly move the ball on. Goretzka bursts forward, and with a bit of luck, in combination with Guido Brugstaller, goes on to grab his fourth goal of the campaign. Once again, Schalke's strategy is spot on. Our game's built on that work off the ball and gegenpressing. pressing. That's the foundation of our current success. That and their dead ball efficiency. No fewer than eight of Schalke's 12 goals so far this season have come from a set piece. The Royal Blues are back in the groove. Onwards and upwards, the Domenico Tedesco way. And as that segment from Bundesliga you just heard, you can probably guess, we're here to talk now. Domenico Tedesco, manager for Schalke. Um, with me, I have uh, the very pl kind pleasure of... Uh, it's a guy we've I've wanted on for a while. This guy I call him the tactics guru. He he's a future Italian national team manager. Um, he's a technical analyst for ESDF. Uh, he also analyzes. He's an analyst who also writes for these Footy Times, amongst other things. Um, please uh, welcome Carlo Valladares to the show. Did I say your last name right? Yeah, Valadares. Valadares. Either right. or. Right on. Depends. English accent, Spanish accent. <laughs> Uh, I wasn't going to try a German accent. That would have been a little difficult, I think. <laughs> I have yet to hear uh, a in a German accent. <laughs> so how have you been, man? Good. Just Good. Uh, writing a lot of reports, doing a lot of various content, uh, predominantly just ESTF analysis, and uh, I'm doing a collaboration with uh, Get Italian Football News. So um, I should have some more stuff for them in December. But yeah, just ma mainly just ESTF analysis right now. For those of you guys who don't know who Carlo is, uh, I suggest you follow him because he uh, he provides excellent tactics for all, all kinds of games. Um, definitely La Liga, but but that's not the only thing he does. You know, EPL, Bundesliga, Italian football. So definitely give him a follow. Um, so we're here to talk Domenico Tedesco. Uh, just give a brief rundown of what happened last season. Um, Schalke started their season 0 and 5. Ultimately, they made it up, you know, back up to tenth position after on the bottom of the bottom of the table for a good part of the season. Um, tenth place is not where Schalke has been known to be at. They've been usually fighting for Champions League spots, fighting for the, fighting for the Bundesliga title, and tenth place uh, was a terrible position for Schalke. So, Marcus Weinzel, who was a the manager then, was let go, as well as Horst Helt, who was a general manager. This summer, uh, Christian Heidel was brought in from Mainz. Um, to be the general manager slash sporting director. Uh, and immediately he was set out to define a Schalke style that would mimic the coal mining traditions of Gelsenkirchen. Um, he wanted to set up a team that was aggressive on defense and vertical on attack. 
back this in June, shortly after they let go of Marcus Weinzeal, um, they brought in Domenico Tedesco, a 31-year-old that not many people knew about. Um, really, his only professional credentials were uh, amongst playing for the uh, manager for the U19 teams and even U8 teams uh, for Stuttgart. Uh, he was given a chance at Eisenberg Auch last year, last year at the end of the season. Uh, with 11 games to go, Eisenberg Auch were in uh, serious tr- they're in relegation battle, basically. And uh, he was brought in to save them. So the 11 games that he, that he managed, the team managed five clean sheets, and they collected 20 points out of possible 23 to save them from relegation. Uh, clearly, Christian Heidel saw this as a chance to, to sign a young, a young laptop manager, if you will. Uh, last year, Hoffenheim's uh, Julian Nagelsmann... Um, Sort to sort of prominence with a similar style, and and Dominico Tedesco came from the same from the same coaching academy. They're actually friends. Uh, they both were at Hoffenheim together. Um, Carlo, what do you know about uh, Dominico Tedesco? Um, and what, what what you've seen of him? What, what what's your take on him? Oh, well, I mean, just a quick disclaimer for the listener: uh, I am not a Bundesliga expert, so uh, what I'm about to say. Uh, uh, Regarding Tedesco is just stuff that I've you know picked up over the past couple months. But um, what I do know is he, he graduated top of his class with uh, Julian Nagelsmann, right? Yep. Um, and he kept uh, it was uh, Bundesliga two side or something like that up from what well, he prevented them from going down. I think. Yeah, that's Eisenberg Al. Yeah, he kept them from going down. And now he's at Schalke, and um, the fans love what they're seeing. Obviously, Schalke is the uh, second place in the table right now, so he's getting results. Uh, there was an interesting quote that I that I read about him that you know a lot of coaches they you know some prefer prefer to win four three, others prefer to win one nothing, and he said he'd prefer to win four nothing. So yeah. uh, <laughs> so there's definitely uh, I guess you can say he's a coach that likes to find ways to score, but also doesn't like to concede any goals so yeah um definitely shows from what from what i've seen absolutely and it's, it's he's one of these laptop managers uh players from his from the eisenberg Alf team that uh, team from last year that he managed they they said that you know he brought in new techniques like you know playing rugby in practice uh, he uses technology to try to get upper hand on his opponents you know he's very meticulous he studies his oppositions to death um what is it about these laptop managers that's completely different from what we know as managers in in, in all all of football, all of soccer? Um, well, they certainly don't have your traditional upward trajectory in terms of how they get into these positions. Um, for years, majority of coaches, you know, in the sixties, seventies, eighties, almost all of them were former players. And then they uh, get their coaching licenses, and then they use their their brain. I mean, excuse me, their their brand and their connections to get into these positions. And of course, to have the playing experience that that can help them, you know, right. you know, develop training and whatnot. But um, where the laptop managers differ from what from what I've read in both you know um, praise and, and both criticism is that a lot of their experience comes from analyzing. Uh, matches and they, they, they usually get their start as you know video analysts, opposition analysts, and then they uh, try to get their coaching licenses and try to get their badges from academies and and whatnot. So how they become how they get how they become coaches is a bit a bit different. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, I always heard the term laptop managers, but I didn't realize, you know, that's kind of how they, they started out as video analysts and stuff like that and go from there. I mean, I get it to that point. Um, I mean, you're analyzing a game, so you think you, you know the game pretty well and you have your own ideas, obviously. Um, so, you know, in the past, Schalke have tried to do three-man defenses and it's never worked. It lasted a couple of games and go off. Um, it seems that since soon as Sedesco came in, he implemented that, that system. Um, I know that, you know, if we go with the first game of the season, which was against RB Leipzig, um, you know, he wanted to play a counterattacking style, you know, giving up possession. Um, it was, it was definitely their plan a, um, and in that game, you know, you could see the team would eventually, you know, they would shift to a five man defense. You put two midfields in front of them to be really compact. Um, and pretty much their whole team was within 30 meters of the goal defensively. Um, but tell me, tell us about the listeners about uh, three man defense. What you like about it, and what you what you don't like about it. Uh, the three man defense. Um, well, for those that don't know where where it came from, uh, its original origin started in um, about I think Russia, uh, Denmark, and of course it became well known on the international scene uh, at the nineteen eighty six World Cup when Carlos Bilardo used it um when of course he had the the best player in the world at the time uh diego maradona so yeah yeah that was the first time um anyone used the three-man defense in a major tournament and um of course maradona was probably the biggest reason they, they they won that title but a lot of people don't know that the argentinian team was actually not not the best and they were quite defensive side and they used maradona primarily on on counters so um it worked well, and after that, a lot of um, a lot of teams in Italy started using that. And um, just to put it simply, uh, it can be used in different ways. Um, how Luis Enrique switched to a three-five-two, and how uh, Antonio Conte uses a three-four-three with Chelsea is is completely different. How they build up the play is completely different, and how they try to manipulate the spaces is completely different. So, you know, I, I know a lot of people out there from what I see online, comments, tweets, whatever, they they think it's for the same reasons when it's it's not. You know, um, uh, N'Golo Kante and uh, uh, Matic, you know, there are two great pivots that use a lot of their endurance and strength in tackling and reading of the game to to help spring uh, Chelsea, Chelsea forward from defense to attack. But, you know, Busquets and uh, Rakitic and Iniesta are not those type of players, but right. Barcelona still still used a three four three three five two last season a couple of times, and they used it differently. So uh, it can be used different ways. <laughs> you told me that you saw a lot of uh, Conti's Chelsea and Schalke's uh, formation. Uh, expand on that, if you will. Um, so yeah, uh, well, right off the bat, they 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 press more than Chelsea. Um, they seem more more conditioned for it running longer than than uh, Chelsea do in, in certain ways but um particularly they when they how they protect their their uh, penalty area is very similar the um, the midfield three gets very narrow if the opponent tries to overload one side the midfield three will get very narrow in front of that back five and either the um, course the wing back usually has to press up high and then the, the left-sided or the right-sided center back will 
offer some form of a zonal cover for the space that he's that he's leaving. And um, the the midfield three will either man mark or one will screen a passing lane, and then they try to force the um, opposition to pass backward, or the opposition, if they they got some skillful players, will find a way to switch the play. So, um, in that sense, how they how they protect the penalty area reminded me of Chelsea. Oh, right on. That's a, that's a good insight. Um, so, you know, the way you see them now, you're, you're mentioning that they press a lot. In Germany, they call it gegenpressing. Um, it's not how Schalke has started out the season, in fact. Um, and, and begin the season, like I said, they started out just trying to play counter possession or counterattack, uh, conceding possession at all, at all costs, basically, and just, you know, try to counterattack. But basically, a lot of teams in, in the Bundesliga will do that. And then if you have two teams that do that, it's really a stalemate and you're kind of forced to have possession of the ball. So it's always been, I mean, Tedesco had to alter some of his tactics, obviously, because of this. Um, plan A was always going to be still counterattacking, but when teams gave them possession, uh, they would, Schalke would, you know, obviously would do, have to do something with the possession was. So what they would do is they bring up the ball. If they didn't like what they would see, that instead of giving up possession, going for wild shots or, you know, wild crosses, they'd maintain possession, pass it back to the defense, and reset. They actually take it all back to the goaltender, to Ralph Fairman, and then reset, which I thought was interesting. Um, have you seen many teams do this where, you know, they bring it up the field, and if they don't like what they see, they just take it back and reset? I mean, I think Barcelona does that you know, to, to an extent. Uh, but have you seen it anywhere else? What, where they, they try to build up and then they... Reset if they don't like it. Go back to the, go back to the defense and start all over on the build-up. Um, yeah, I saw, you see, you see a lot of, um, yeah, you see a lot of possession-based teams, teams that don't like to give up the ball, uh, if, um, if the opponent overloads one side, then, um, they'll pass backwards either back to the, um, center back or back to the goalkeeper and then figure out, um, another way in which to attack. But, um, when that happens, that's actually a uh, pressing trigger for the opposition because hmm. when you've overloaded one side, that means you've cut off all the exits or all the ways, excuse me, for the for the team with the ball to go forward. So that when they turn around and they make that you know that pass backwards, it's usually going to a player that now has more time and space. But now the players that were in, I guess, the, just hypothetically, the left side now have to you know, also go with the ball and the opponents that are defending, they're going to literally man mark, just follow them so that they can take away time and space. And it's actually, that's actually a good, a, a good pressing trigger for if you're, if you're trying to train players and you just want to help them understand right. good times to press um, a backward pass back to a center back or goalkeeper is a great time to, to, to uh, press. Uh, just drop something. I don't know what that was. It's all right. <laughs> uh, so, so, I don't have I don't have the tactical eye that you do, but what I what I've noticed from Schalke is um, in their pressing game they definitely put in a cres- aggressive pressing game, especially in the middle of the park. Uh, they're constantly pressing off pressing the ball uh, yeah. wherever the ball is. Um, and I know the system that Tedesco has it thrives on working off the ball and and that pressing. Um, mm-hmm. is, is that what you're seeing, or or, or what are you seeing when you when you see uh, Schalke press? Um, well, it it, uh, it all depends what the opponent is doing and where they're doing it. So, um, if uh, just for example, I watched um, Schalke versus Hamburg, and Schalke, I mean, excuse me, Hamburger, they 
they build up for the most part in a, a four uh, two three one. So uh, if the goalkeeper had it and he decided to give it to one of his fullbacks or center backs and they wanted to build up the play from the back, Schalke they um, they pressed in a five two three, um, more man orientated, more man to man. They put usually two guys on one of Hamburger's um, holding midfielders. And uh, if the ball was at a center back or, for example, let's just say going toward um, Hamburger's right back, then the uh, furthest forward, so in this case it would be um, Di, Di Santo, he would then mark um, the holding midfielder that is open and that is not being marked by two guys. And they would... and. Uh, Schalke's striker, I can't pronounce his name, Kunupiaka? number 19. Oh, Bergstaller, Bergstaller. Bergstaller. Um, he, a lot of times in, against Hamburger, he would curve his run to force uh, Hamburger's um, right side of center back to the right side so they can try to cause a pressing trap or at the very least force the center back to go long so they can um, win it that way because of... as. Um, if anyone watches football knows that a uh, long ball toward a back line needs to be really accurate and the runner needs to be perfectly timed if yep. you want to get behind the defense. So it's 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 hard and it's not very likely you're going to get to the penalty area that way. So if Schalke can manipulate the spaces, force Hamburger to kick out, then that's not bad either. I mean, they would prefer, I'm sure any coach would prefer to force a center back to make a turnover, but... Um, if they kick it out, that's not that's 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 good too. I thought what it was a uh, another interesting aspect of Tedesco's uh, tactics is the dead ball situations and how efficient they are. They're actually leading the Bundesliga in in, in dead ball goals. Uh, eight of their twelve goals this season have actually come off of set pieces, whether it be free kicks, corner kicks, or you know any kind of dead ball situation. Um, what is what can a manager do to help? I mean, last year Schalke were probably one of the worst teams defensively. Uh, and, the, and as far as dead balls go and offensively yeah. and this year it just seems like a complete 180 um is there anything that you saw from 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 the game that he or what can a manager do to i guess help increase the, the scoring opportunities offensively and then you know help stop them uh defensively for for dead ball situations yes um <laughs> well like like just just uh, free kicks and then just yeah and just corner kicks and stuff like that corner kicks. Um, what can coaches do? <laughs> I mean, I guess it's well, just discipline. I guess you know, make sure your guys <laughs> cover who they're supposed to get. Well, defensively, I know a lot of teams um, lately they go for a zonal men marking hybrid. Okay. Um, most teams at this level, you know, in top five leagues, they usually have. Um, uh, uh, tactical analysis departments, observational analysis departments, and there'll usually be maybe one or two guys that just focus on dead ball situations. (laughs) So, um, essentially they study the opponent. If there's a certain pattern they see, they'll, they'll try to set up either they'll go man to man or, you know, against maybe Sergio Ramos, they'll put two markers on him. And then throw one guy on the you know furthest post as like a zonal cover, so you know it, it's it, it varies. Um, some teams focus on um, dead ball situations more than others. Um, every team does, but I'll I'll tell you right now, Barcelona do not 
focus on dead ball situations as much as Atletico Madrid. It's just not areas okay. that certain coaches feel is in line with their strengths and what they should be focused on. And with historically, with you know, just you know, for keeping on on topic here with these two teams, you know, if if you have the type of players that Barcelona usually have, you know, do you really want to focus on dead ball situations, or would you rather focus on them? Um, trying to achieve positional superiority all over the pitch through passing. You know, Nap- what would you... Napoli does the same way. Napoli does the same thing. <laughs> so, you know, Napoli's the same way. You know, I don't I don't think Napoli spend a lot of time, nor, you know, Sipnalevich give give a crap about scoring <laughs> <laughs> yeah. through dead ball situations. But most teams spend a good amount of time um, training, defending dead ball situations because, of course, that is important. Not to go off topic too, too much, but... In my opinion, you know, Naldo, the defender for Schalke, is probably one of the best best jumpers in the Bundesliga. It seems like he always gets the balls up. Um, who, in your opinion, is the best in the world? You think Sergio Ramos or Ronaldo? Who do you see in the in the air? Yeah. <laughs> um, Ramos seems I, to get the, every freaking ball that's in the air. Yeah, Ronaldo and, and Ramos, in terms of putting that that ball in the back of the net with their noggin, they're, they're very good at that. Clearances, um, Diego Godin is perfect yeah. Yeah. Yeah, at, at clearances. But, you know, there's there's loads of guys. And Boateng is very good at clearances. Um, every Everyone in the BBC is, is decent decent at clearances, too. Um, their, their anticipation is, is, is good as well. So I want to wrap this up on Max Meyer. Um, it's sort of the evolution of Max Meyer, if you will. He uh, he's, he's he's come up as a player as a central attacking midfielder. Um, he's got loads of loads of skill, but he's never really you know when he first started, when he first came on the scene, everyone thought he was the next big thing, and then Leroy Sané came in and he took over and he went to Man City, um, and he's never flourished since then. Uh, but since Tedesco's been here, it's kind of been an evolution of Max Meyer. Instead of being in the uh, attacking uh, midfielder role, he's been actually pushed back in a kind of uh, Andrea Pirlo role, where you know you're sitting you're sitting right in front of the defenders um, and you're kind of orchestrating the play. Um, I know, um, and I guess the reason that he was put in there is because I guess he's natu- he naturally plays himself out of you know trouble. He keeps calm in situations, which you would want in a position like that because you don't. Last thing yeah. you want is a turnover for your, you know the dolphin, uh, the, the other t- opposition to come and. And get a quick shot on goal, or you know, even score. Um, exactly. Yeah. It seems that he's thriving in this position. Um, I, I know against Hamburg, he ran you know well over seven miles. Uh, he completed forty-seven of fifty passes. He um, got he got he got pretty advanced. Well, I noticed uh, Schalke they like to build up down the left, yes. down down their left with Achipka, yeah, Achipka and, and Konoplyanka, yes. Exactly. They like to uh, those those three guys. I noticed they like to. Um, Form a diamond sometimes with um, even um, Carr, the uh, center yeah. back. Tilo Carr, yes. It, it, if if the if the um, opportunity and space allows itself, these guys will will form a diamond, and then number two, McKenny, he'll offer just cover right 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 behind them in case in case you know they they lose the ball. So uh, I noticed they they love attacking down the left side, and that the uh, Schalke is uh, front three. They'll get they'll get very. Very narrow when the when the wing backs press press high and and that's they, they they like to overload opponents right side. I think they do that in a in a way to get the goal scoring chances on the right side because I notice in games they, they they overload like you said on the left side they're constantly going through there and then it seems to get a lot of goals from the right wing where all of a sudden they counter and they go to the other side and then yeah you know, Caligiri, whoever's that's, on the uh, right side 
that's another. Uh, I guess I guess a, a good way to put it is that's another layer to an overload. So you create an overload to you know um, give yourself an ability to use short quick passing because you know to use short quick passing your players gonna have to be closer to each other. So um, if that doesn't work and you have the opportunity to switch to you know opposite side winger, opposite side wing back, then um, that's a huge opportunity because usually how teams defend overloads is they overload the overload. You know, if there's right, four right. guys trying to overload the wing, um, Atletico Madrid, they'll put four, six guys to, to, to counteract that. And then if you switch to play, they got to travel to the other side at the shift, right? Right. So during that shift is when a lot of compact low blocks can, that's when a lot, you can find cracks when uh-huh. they're in that shift. So this is what Real Madrid are deadly at. They'll Isco will drift wherever the hell he wants. He'll overload with whoever player he wants, and then he can get he can draw you in, dribble his way out of anything, and then he'll switch to Marcelo. He'll switch to Carvajal, and then now your low block has to shift to one side, and you have two world class fullbacks that can right. offer accurate crosses, find the cracks in the block, and then. If you get it to Ronaldo, Benzema, Bale, whoever, these guys, if they have point-blank chances in the penalty box, they're going to finish them. So this is why they're the best crossing team in the world because Real Madrid can just hurt you in many different ways. But, you know, just to answer your question, you're exactly right. There are a lot of teams that will overload just so they can get the time and space on the underloaded side and see what they can do when they switch. And it's funny, uh, Goreska did not play in this game against Hamburg because he's battling the injury. But usually... Uh... Um, Max Meyer will stay back and Goretzka will be the one who's initiating the attack. Uh, but like since he's out right now, Max Meyer has taken over and McKinney has dropped in. And it does seem at times you said they play in a diamond formation. There's also, it's been noted that uh, they kind of play also in a pentagon style, I guess, where the, the ball carrier in this position would be Max Meyer. He has plenty of options around and I guess he, he's skillful enough where uh, he can always find that open man and get out of get out of a situation and keep possession for the ball, so, uh, for the team. So I guess... Um, having someone like that is uh, instrumental to getting your system to to create the way you want to. Otherwise, it's it's a lost cause, is it not? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I, I definitely saw those saw those shapes too. Um, Schalke. I mean, like I said, I really only analyzed a couple of games, but you know, they they have technical players. They can move the ball around, but but I, I don't think they really try to. Um, focus on really pulling the defense out of position for a long period of time. I think they like right. to find the space, get the through ball, get the low cross, and really you know try to try to score you know maybe in six, seven, eight passes rather than you know really like a Barcelona you know building up the play for twenty, thirty 20, passes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh it's different. But the the bar the the, the Barca IX philosophy is uh. Is, is very different. It's it, they, they they really care about the the uh, spectacle as well. Absolutely. Uh, before I let you go, this is Derby Week. Uh, we got the River Derby coming up. Uh, the hated rivals Borussia Dortmund are hosting the the big game. Um, I don't know if you've had any chance to see Dortmund uh, this season at all. Um, do you have any predictions for the game? Uh, what do you what are you expecting to see, if anything? Um, <laughs> I really I really don't know, but. Um, Cause like I said, I don't I don't watch a lot of Bundesliga, but um, it's okay I'm, if you I'm... say you want to see Schalke win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I do because I I watched them uh, 
play for this, you know, did some research the past couple of days, and they uh, they're entertaining side. I, I I don't know why why people think the EPL is the only you know end to end end to end league, fast paced physical league in the world because these guys, Hamburger and Schalke, were flying. Yeah, and you wouldn't just by watching, you wouldn't think Hamburg was uh, near the bottom of the table. Um, I mean, the whole league has, has got talent up and down. There's teams like uh, that are towards the bottom. You're like, how are they in the bottom? They just had bad luck, I guess. Um, but it happens. It happens. It's, I it's mean, a, it's a fun league for sure. You know, Girona were are near, are kind of near the bottom, and they they beat Real Madrid the, uh, like three weeks ago. So, you know, it happens. These things happen. They're top. They're top five leagues for a reason. They're all good in their own way. Yeah. Well, I'm. I'm one that's happy that Schalke is in second place and three points ahead of uh, Borussia Dortmund. Um, I'm going to go and, and make a prediction on this game. Um, Dortmund have been really struggling as of late. They lost again today to Tottenham um, in the Champions League, and I think they're just reeling right now. And I don't know if their manager uh, has what it takes to to have a team like Dortmund because Dortmund has a talented team, and they just, they're just struggling right now. Um, I think this is the perfect time for Schalke to face them, and I'm going to go with a 2-1 victory for Schalke at Dortmund. Um, I don't expect you to give a prediction. If you want to, that's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll pass because I'm Fair not enough. qualified to give a prediction. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, man. All right, so before we go, um, tell our listeners uh, where they can reach you or follow you on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, at c underscore v underscore news. Um, I post uh, a lot of my Vimeo videos. I have a Vimeo channel links. Uh, my ESDF analysis portfolio is it's all through there. Just read, you know, go to my Twitter, and uh, yeah, I put out uh, one piece of tactical content a week. Uh, do you have anything coming up that uh, we should be on the lookout for? Um, what are you working on right now? Is it hush right hush? now? Um, uh, something it's definitely coming out this week. I'm actually in the process of finishing it tonight. Um, okay. I'm, I'm analyzing Atletico Madrid's defensive system between um, how they set up against Barcelona in October and how they set up against Madrid uh, last weekend. So uh, oh. a lot of lot of um, a lot of similarities in how they pressed both teams, Atletico, but a lot of differences in how they wanted to stop either side from building up. So it's a uh, it's, it's going to be very long, but it's going to be very um, eye-opening for many people that want to understand the type of factors that coaches consider when you know deciding to go more man-to-man, more zonally. So this this piece will will give you why. Nice. And then a quick yes or no: um, Does Simeone stay at Atleti? <laughs> um, God. <Maybe. laughs> Maybe, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he went went elsewhere. But he's not going to Everton. I'll tell you that much. No, I would I would bet Inter before he does there. But they got a good manager right now. So, um, all right, man. Thank you very very much. It's good to uh, hear hear the tactical an- analysis of Schalke because uh, week in and week out, you know, I'll I'll, I'll spew my uh, Schalke thoughts, but um, it's not quite as tactical and as informative as you are. So, um, uh, <laughs> Sorry, I, I, thank I truly you. appreciate you coming on. No, no problem, man. I, I love talking tactics, so not a problem. All right, man. We'll talk soon, and uh, have a good one. You too.
Well, with that, um, coming up this weekend, we got the River Derby, like we said. A big game against Dortmund. It's truly a chance to see, you know, Dortmund are are in a precarious position right now. And for luckily for us, they are in a little bit of a downswing. Um, and we are in an upswing. We're, we'll get to see what both teams are made of. Can Tedesco plan correctly against Dortmund to get a victory? Um, will Peter Bosch find a way to save his job? I think if uh, Schalke get to do get the victory, his his job is he's gone, um, and I don't care. I'd be a Shaka fan, but that's me. Now, what do you guys think? Let us know. All right, keep tuning in each week, and we will bring you the latest with the Royal Blues. We want to thank Shaka, Fox Soccer, and the Bundesliga for providing us tidbits for our podcast today. If there are any topics you would like us to discuss, send us a tweet at so four underscore podcast on Twitter. We'll have some more guests on in the next few weeks, so stay tuned for that. I'd like to thank Carlo for joining us today. Um, if you guys want to give him a follow, please do. Uh, his work is really great. Uh, it's at C underscore V underscore news, N-E-W-S. Uh, so again, follow Carlo Viardes. Um, he does some great work. He's very underrated. And, um, more people should be tuning into this guy. Once again, I'm your host, Richard Carmen. You can find me on Twitter as well at R underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N. Until the next pod comes, my friends, stay ready, and I'll be with you soon. Cheers.